Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up on this, our triumphant comeback episode. Chelsea prepare for the Premier League restart after a mixed World Cup. It's Armando Bro, yar, as striker suffers Ninak. The women's team go into their winter break, top of the league and through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. And your questions answered. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Welcome back then, listener, or maybe welcome along if you found us for the first time. Every week we get together to talk about Chelsea Football Club. We've been off for a few weeks because of the World Cup, but we are back. The we in question today meet Matt Davis-Adams and two of the Athletics Chelsea experts. Liam Toomey's here. Hiya, Liam. I can't believe we're all just required to carry on and act like football didn't peak with that World Cup final. <laughs> it will get a mention, I'm sure, as we go on. Simon Johnson's here with us too. Picked up that virus that was sweeping through the France camp, but still fit to start, Simon, today. Yeah, but like Olivier Giroud, I'm throwing my water bottle down in disgust and <laughs> anger over what what uh, the fates have decided to give me. No, but in all seriousness, I'm like Reese James... You know, I've put the World Cup break to good use. I'm ready to go again. I think we all are, yeah. We've been watching on with um, a mixture of interest and jealousy, certainly from my part. Uh, our colleagues who'd be lucky enough to be out there. Um, we're going to start today. We've got loads to talk about. Women's team, Bournemouth game coming up, what's been happening since we were away, etc. But a nice question here that came in from Avi via Twitter. He says, if you had the power, which player from this World Cup, based on performance, would you sign that can improve Chelsea? Now, Avi says we can't have Gvardiol, who's obviously heavily linked and difficult to pronounce. But I say that we can have him if we would like... But Simon, I don't think that's who you're going to pick. No, I was asked this question as part of a sort of a Chelsea transfers piece that's coming out in a, around the Christmas period, and um, it's the very last question. I said, "Well, Kylian Mbappe, obviously, but never going to happen." Um, so, uh, of all the players that that Chelsea have got a little sniff, they're already sniffing like a cold um, around. Jude Bellingham, it has to be, you know, the guy was uh, phenomenal on and off the pitch. I, I just love his, uh, the way he talks as, as well as well he plays. I know that sounds a really funny thing to say, but he's sort of going, is this, is this guy really 19? And he's got in there and he's basically gone into the England squad and become one of the most important players already. And you just sort of think, oh, wouldn't it be great to see that in a Chelsea shirt as well? But I fear that's not going to happen either. His interviews alone are worth a hundred million, surely. That's it. That's it. Just, just for mix zone. Just for mix zone. Last journos. Yes. Just signed Jude Bellingham. Um, Liam, I just googled quickly while Simon was talking there. Mbappe Chelsea trials and first story. There it is from Marker twenty eighteen. Chelsea rejected thirteen year old Mbappe. Would he be your pick? Is there somebody else who's caught your eye? You think could do a job for the Blues? We actually wrote a story about that as well. My colleague uh, Steve James wrote an excellent piece about Mbappe's time at Cobham 
he's he's the obvious one, isn't he? Um, he's he's kind of the the best player in the world currently in his prime, and I think he proved that in Qatar. But no suggestion he's gettable now or in the near future. I'm going to go for a, a slightly more interesting one, a different midfielder. I think Bellingham's great. It'd be great to see him at Chelsea, but I'm going to go with Enzo Fernandez from Argentina. I think he's the breakout star of this tournament, given that he, he didn't get his first cap for them until September and was on the bench until midway through the Mexico game. And now, you know, he, he was holding that midfield together against France. I think he's he's got all the technical quality to sort of run a midfield, but he's also got that real tenacity and uh, physical streak, shall we say. He's not, he's not intimidated either. And he's only 21. It, it looks to me like he's kind of got everything and, and Chelsea need a, a succession plan in midfield. All right, so Enzo Fernandez, Jude Bellingham, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, but no, we look forward to welcoming Cristiano Ronaldo next month uh, to Stamford Bridge. Uh, one way or another, Chelsea might need a new striker. We'll tell you why next. So I guess the big story blues-wise since we last spoke is the injury suffered to Armando Breuer in last week's friendly against Aston Villa. It's going to keep him out for the season. Um, Liam, what happened? It's a, it's a knee issue, right? Yeah, it's an ACL, and to be honest, I mean, there's always obviously a lag time between the player suffering the injury and the, and the confirmation filtering out. Usually, a couple of days for the scans to happen and everything. But it was obvious at the time what the injury was. Um, I was watching the game. I'd, I'd spoken to my editor before the game and said Chelsea are playing this pretty nondescript friendly in, in Abu Dhabi. I'll watch it just in case anything happens. I wasn't massively psyched to watch it. It wasn't a great game. And as soon as that happens, your heart sinks and your mind goes back to Ruben Loftus-Cheek in Boston in 2019. It just feels like every time Chelsea play one of these, one of these sort of mid-season friendlies, money-spinning friendlies in theory, there's a high price to pay. Um, and it's a real shame for Breuer. It, it kind of happened in a in a really innocuous situation as well. The, I think it was Esri Konza was playing the ball out of defence. Breuer was doing what Breuer does, which is lead the press, trying to turn something into nothing with a bit of hustle, win the ball off him in a position where it basically would have been a goal. And all of Konza's weight essentially ends up going on to Breuer's planted leg. And that's his season over. Um we, we don't know how long he'll be out beyond that, but it's definitely the rest of this season, at least, for his recovery. It's fortunate for him that he signed that big, lucrative six-year contract a couple of months ago because that that provides him with a measure of security. And it also kind of guarantees, you know, if that were ever... It, it would never be in question anyway, but it, it obviously hammers home the idea that Chelsea are massively invested in him making a full, complete recovery from this injury and coming back at the level that he was at. Um, he will get nothing but the best treatment, I'm sure, over the, over the next few months. But it's a real shame and it leaves Chelsea with a, with a short to medium-term headache because now you've got Kai Havertz and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, neither of whom have, have lit the world on fire um, up front for Chelsea so far this season as your only likely options um, for that number nine spot. Simon, the, the injuries are becoming an unfortunate theme of the season, aren't they? Particularly knee injuries. So you've got Fafana, Rhys James and Breuer now all, all having knee issues. I kind of joked about Cristiano Ronaldo earlier, but Chelsea are going to have to bring somebody in in January, aren't they? 
Yeah, and they will. I think they were, they were looking at doing that that anyway. And of course, they're in talks with Mulder over David Datro Fafana. Um, David Ornstein reported about Makoko. But what will be quite interesting is whether, on top of that, Chelsea go for a, a bigger name, a more sort of exciting, ready to go now kind of name. Because those two players I mentioned whilst they're, they're making uh, rapid strides in their career and certainly fit into the, the sort of the mould of what the new owners want to build, which is sort of this young squad of 25 and under uh, players, they also need to think about the here and now. And as Liam mentioned, Aubameyang, one Premier League goal, not really doing the business. Havertz, question mark, what, what is his best position still? Here we are in his third season. So do Chelsea go out and buy one of the big hitters, a real sort of glamour name uh, that, that shot in the World Cup. And that, that, that will be a, like a Liao, for example. So that will be quite interesting to see because from everything I'm hearing, they're, they're definitely, there's definitely money left in the kitty to go big again. Um, the other question mark, though, is, of course, it's, it's weighing up what they do in January with what they do in the summer which is always the annual debate, isn't it? You know, do you go, how much do you sacrifice your needs for this season compared with what your plans are for the summer and the, the seasons beyond? So that's another question the owners will be thinking about. So for Fana, Liam, he's 19, he's got 15 league goals this season, but but that comes with the asterisks of they are in Norwegian football and Kunku's coming in next summer, right? So... As Simon says, there is going to need to be somebody coming in in January just to to bridge that gap. But as we've seen, it, it can be a difficult thing to do. So you might have to get a free agent, even if it's not Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, which other free agents are there um, of the level? I, th- I think Simon's point is very well made about balancing the short-term and the long-term, the short-term need with the long-term strategy. And there's also the question of just what can you do in January? It is a more limited market that, most clubs do not want to lose their best players, even for very good offers, which is why, while Chelsea do have a deal in place to sign Christopher Nkunku for a, above his release clause, it was only ever going to be for next summer because RB Leipzig are still in the Champions League. They've still got loads to play for. They're trying to qualify for next season's competition. They're not going to agree to, to sell one of their best players in the winter market if they don't have to. I'd imagine... Milan will be similarly inclined with Rafael Leal, despite his contract situation. So it's it's a difficult market to get good deals done. Chelsea have done good business in the past. Of course, uh, Olivier Giroud is probably the gold standard of the type of deal they've managed to to do in January. But that that was kind of more of an opportunistic, lower cost buy. The circumstances presented themselves where Arsenal wanted a Bamiyang, Dortmund wanted Batshuayi, <laughs> the stars aligned for Chelsea to get Giroud. So it, I think January's lesser market for getting the players that you've been monitoring for three or four windows or happen to be top of your dream list and more about trying to get what you can. Yeah, for every Giroud or Anelka, there's a, a Fernando Torres. Um, Simon's written a piece for The Athletic outlining that maybe 
Malik Mothersill or Mason Burstow might have a chance of making some impact on the first team. Um, go and have a look at that. We're going to talk about more of the younger players uh, later. Um, Liam's got a piece up on The Athletic now asking how Graham Potter's going to deal with the fallout from the World Cup and the effect on his players. A couple of listener questions related to that. I'll put this one to you first, Simon. Joe wants to know, can a good World Cup for your country force you from the fringes into the club selection alone. Um, now, I know Joe. He's a friend of mine who works at Chelsea TV, so I can confirm that he is not Hakim Ziyech's agent. But, I mean, he's the one, isn't he? <laughs> he's, he's put forth the case to be more involved, whether it's at Stamford Bridge or somewhere else. Well, yeah, him and uh, Christian Pulisic are the, are the two that you would sort of say. And, and in a way, is there any surprise that those two had good World Cups in that they were very fresh because of their lack of football at Chelsea? It's a... It's a it's a question for Graham Potter to that has been posed to Graham Potter. I'm sure he was watching, going, "Oh, who's that Hakim Ziyech bloke? He looks quite good. Haven't seen that in a Chelsea shirt yet." But at the same time, Ziyech is going to be—he hasn't reported back for training yet for obvious reasons. So he's going to be behind everybody else who have been training with Potter. Pulisic is back in the camp, but I'm not sure that seeing them impress for their countries is going to change Potter's thinking too much. Like any coach, he will have his his favourites, his system in mind. And it's all about trust. And I'm not sure he trusts trusts them, rightly or wrongly, to to play the way he wants. But what Chelsea will think, though, is that this is a win-win situation, that they will be coming back with better, greater confidence from what they've done with their respective countries. So they hopefully would be able to make an impact at Chelsea if called upon. But conversely, if clubs want to make a move for them in January, Chelsea can say how much and and have a bit more of a stronger bargaining position than they had a few weeks ago when neither of them were really um, looking that great as far as their football careers were concerned. I guess, Liam, there's an outside chance it might help in, in what we've been talking about, about trying to get a striker in. If you can say to a, a club who are reluctant to to sell, hey, look, we can we can chuck in Christian Pulisic. This guy is so desperate to score for his team that he's willing to sacrifice the ability to be able to have children for it. Let's do a trade. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be the first time, Todd. <laughs> I chose to ignore it and move on. Um <laughs> It wouldn't be the first time Todd Bowley is uh, is linked with a a baseball trade style transfer, but I do think the likeliest value of the tournaments that Ziyech and Pulisic have had for their countries is in the transfer market rather than on the football pitch for Chelsea. I think obviously the context is totally different. International football is totally different, so I don't think Graham Potter will put a, a ton of stock in it, but. I think Ziyech himself, given the way he seems to be feeling and carrying himself at Chelsea, was probably looking at this tournament as a shop window, maybe to try and convince Milan or or another club that he's worth shelling out a permanent transfer fee for. Um, and Pulisic, as we know, has not been happy with his Chelsea situation for months now and, and is in a similar situation in that he's uh, trying to get a market to develop and Chelsea are trying to develop a market for him rather than send him out on loan. Um, they are certainly players quality-wise who can contribute, but I think in the system Potter's been playing, uh, in the very different landscape of club football, 
I'm not sure their international performances will go too far. All right, this is pretty much the final one on the World Cup. I think it's a really interesting one, Simon, from Barry. He says, has there been any noises of bemusement from the club about Kovacic's ability to play seven games on the bounce in a month for Croatia, having only made five league starts in 14 before the tournament? Um, We have to accept, don't we, that there is a different motivation for for players in in playing for the World Cup. And, you know, one of the things we saw about Croatia was that incredible grit and determination that they've got throughout the tournament. But but it's not just Kovacic, is it? You know, the likes of Thiago Silva, the the last few years of his career were building up to this World Cup. The fact that he got to win the Champions League was an added bonus. But but this is something that, that happens to players very rarely in their career. So I guess Kovacic was just like, give me the injections and we'll, we'll get through the games and see where we go from there. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I, I, I'd not thought of it as cynically as that. Um, that's a good question. I, it hadn't even occurred to me that, that uh, yes, of course, there's this huge disparity. But I would sort of flip it round and be more encouraged by the fact that Kovacic, fingers crossed, may actually now be fully fit and can bring the form that he showed in the World Cup to Chelsea because they they have been missing midfield has been a real sort of problem for Chelsea this season. It's where it's been a real weakness, and one of the reasons why is he's not been playing regularly enough, along with obviously Engolo Conte. Um, but can we really blame players for having the World Cup in the back of their mind, especially a mid mid season World Cup? I know fans will be furious, going well, you know. We're the club that pays their wages. Of course, they should be committed. But they're human beings at the end of the day. And I'm sure, I'm not just sort of talking about Kovacic here, I'm talking generally, that, you know, this is the pinnacle for a lot of these players. And in the back of their minds, they would have been perhaps sort of saving their legs a little bit. Um, certainly, there was that feeling with some of the Chelsea performances just before the World Cup that, that some of the players were going through the motions. What I just want to quickly add on Ziyech and Pulisic is I'm sure everyone connected with Chelsea is very frustrated at seeing these two guys play like that at the World Cup because you sort of go, the talent is there. Is it just down to a mentality thing? You know, not just being given a chance by a coach because when they have been given a chance, have they actually taken it in the same manner that they took their chances in in Qatar and, and really impressed the world with what they can actually do? I think players as a whole were put in a really bad position with the timing of this World Cup. They were basically placed in a situation where any injury, it didn't have to be a serious injury, an injury that keeps you out for a week or two could imperil your chances of going to what could be your last World Cup. You know, in the case of someone like Mateo Kovacic, he's... He's not old, but he's in his late 20s. You know, there's no guarantee that he would be a mainstay of Croatia's team. Well, you look at Luka Modric, maybe so. But this is once every four years. These 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 tournaments define players' careers, as we've just seen with Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe. Um, so I, I, I completely understand. And I you know, wrote and said this in the weeks leading up to the tournament. If players, even subconsciously, even if they weren't consciously trying to do it, did ease up a little bit, did not want to go into challenges with quite the same gusto, didn't maybe want to run with the same intensity for like 90 plus minutes because you got any sort of muscle injury. And we saw it with lots of players that missed this tournament through not particularly serious injuries. And I think the other half of 
the legacy of this Winter World Cup is yet to be played out. And, and that was what I alluded to in my, in my piece. Kovacic said it himself, we're all going back to our clubs exhausted. And it's not just physical exhaustion, because this has been such a condensed World Cup. Obviously, there's a, there's a massive physical toll for the players that have gone the distance in it. But it's emotionally exhausting. Like every game is the end of the world if you lose. You know, the, the stakes are so high for all of these players with their countries. And to go from that to Bournemouth at home on the 27th of December and then just back into the drudgery of a kind of of a winter club season schedule where you're expected to, again, peak your adrenaline every three days. I think that's really, really hard to do. You know, I don't think... I think it's going to be hard for a lot of players at a lot of clubs, maybe whether they whether they went all the way to the final of the World Cup or not. I think it's going to be hard emotionally for players to 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 kind of get themselves up for it immediately again, and and that's something that Potter and other coaches are going to going to have to manage, and it's going to affect different clubs differently, and based on how many players they had involved, the type of players they had involved. Chelsea had more players at this tournament than anyone in the Premier League, Bar City. So that's one of many reasons why I'm not massively optimistic about the coming weeks at Chelsea. I'm just gutted there's no EFL Cup game. <laughs> yeah, poor old Charlton. Everybody going, oh, is Alexis McAllister going to play for Brighton at Charlton? Well, no, he never was anyway. Um, right, it might be difficult for Mateo Kovacic and Hakim Ziyech to get up for Bournemouth, but it's not for us. We're going to go cherry-picking next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So, no Boxing Day game for Chelsea this year. Then the Blues have to wait until the 27th. Bournemouth visiting Stamford Bridge. Simon, is this a must-win game? Chelsea are eight points off the top four with a game in hand. I think there's a lot of must-win games for the foreseeable future. If Chelsea have any hope of uh, making this season a success, they've got to hit the ground running. I think in so many ways to reverse this negative momentum that just seems to be around the club, you know, touching on Broy's injury, you, you just sort of, you just sort of saw that happen and just went, oh, for goodness sake, you know, this was all a chance of reset during the World Cup, um, you know, get a training camp together, Potter can work with his players, players are coming back from injury, let's get some feel-good factor going on. Of course, no, let, let's have a, a player go down with a horrific injury that, that would have upset his teammates. Then they also get Man City away in the FA Cup. I mean, how many years have of Chelsea had and, and previous Chelsea managers have had very cushy draws in the cup to get that. I mean, Tuchel, for example, benefited from it. You know, 
when he took over, he had some cushy, cushy uh, FA Cup games. Just to sort of get some easy games under his belt. Oh no, Graham, it's Man City away again, the team that knocked you out of the League Cup. But in terms of in terms of the league, getting back to your point, yes, they they've got to they've got to, especially when you look at the the fixes they've got in January as well. You know, they've got Man City uh, in the league, they've got Liverpool in the league. It, they just need to. They can't afford to drop many more points um, for the foreseeable future. Otherwise, there'll be too big a gap to bridge as far as the top four is concerned. Yeah, not just Man City and Liverpool. They've also got the two-time European Champions derby on New Year's Day as well. Um, Liam, so you spoke about the mental and physical toll that the players who've been away at the World Cup um, will be under. I guess the flip side of that is people like Kepa, Trevor Chalobah, Jorginho, Aubameyang, maybe one or two coming back like Fafana and Reese James, possibly Ben Chilwell, maybe getting close. They're going to have a different kind of motivation for this second half of the season and, and that could work in Chelsea's favour. They should do. They should be significantly fresher and Chelsea will need them to be. Um, you know, that, that is the the one big positive of, of this mid-season break is that it does give a chance for Reese James and Wesley Fofana and obviously Ben Chilwell's not good to go right now, but he's a lot closer than he was when play stopped. We're already seeing images of uh, Reese James finding the top corner from 25 yards in training, so he, he's clearly not too far off. Chelsea are going to really need them to bring the energy and set the tone for the intensity in these games because it's not necessarily going to be there from the players who are at the tournament. And that's if those players are even playing. Like, I, you know, I think someone like Kovacic is probably going to need two, three weeks to be eased back in. I don't think he's going to be ready to, to play big minutes immediately, um, at least not at the level that Graham Potter will want. So, yeah, they're going to need those guys to really step up and... Um, Particularly for someone like Jorginho, this feels like the first proper break he's had in, in quite a long time. So so maybe that can make a big difference for him. So that's experienced guys stepping up. Lots of people have been in touch. Jacob and Cactus Jack amongst them wondering about the prospect of some youngsters. Lewis Hall, Cesare Cassidy and Amari Hutchinson featuring in the first team after Christmas. Simon, this has been your specialist subject. Are we more likely to see a Hutchinson or a Cassidy playing for Chelsea in the Premier League or going off on loan next month, would you think? I think uh, Lewis Hall and Amari Hutchison will be part of the first team squads, as they have been recently. Um, as for Cassidy, I think he'll go out on loan. I think that was something which I wrote about a few months ago that the club were considering or lining up as a, as a possibility. And noticeably, he's not been around the first team squad just before the World Cup. He wasn't named on any squads, if I recall certainly not in the Premier League. So, yeah, and I think Hall Hall really impressed, made a massive impact in, in the couple of appearances he made and was part of that friendly game. Um, Hutchison started a course and Potter was spoke very glowingly about him afterwards, after that game against Villa. So I, I think having those two around, just a bit of youthful energy, which I think this squad needs. Um, I, I just hope Hutchison gets a chance. He's had a few near near misses as far as getting on the pitch is concerned. But I think he, he keeps knocking on that door and it was noticeable how how excited Chelsea fans were responding to that, that clip on on Twitter from the Villa game where he cut inside and hit a shot against the post. You sort of think that's the kind of magic. I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but that's the kind of magic that's been 
bit lacking in this Chelsea team and the ability of someone to actually beat a man and, and do something with it. Yeah, Hutchinson and Cassidy both looking far too good to be playing for the under-21s in PL2, that's for sure. Uh, here's one from Harvey, Liam, who asks, why is there an accepted narrative of a major rebuild needed by Potter for a team that are world champions with two penalties away from a domestic cup double last season and out of the Champions League by a whisker to the eventual winners? Is Potter getting an easier ride than he should be? I'm not sure he is getting an easy ride, is he? Certainly from, from some sections of the Chelsea fan base. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's getting an easy ride from the fans, um, given how little time he's had in this role. I think there is quite obviously a rebuild needed because if you cast your mind back, and I don't think you use the Club World Cup as a benchmark, I think you use the Champions League as the benchmark because that's the level Chelsea want to get back to. That's the biggest game, the highest standard in club football. The defence is almost entirely gone. <laughs> you know, that's that's had to be replaced. And you wouldn't necessarily say they've got all the long-term pieces in place in that area of the pitch either. The midfield is quite clearly in need of refreshing now. N'Golo Kante can't stay on the pitch. Jorginho might not be at the club next season. So those straightaway are two key areas that need significant surgery. And at the same time, the goalkeeper's dropped out of form and been replaced. <laughs> um, and, and the forwards continue to be largely inconsistent and interchangeable in that inconsistency and the players that Chelsea have bought haven't necessarily addressed that either so I think that is the reason this team doesn't feel anywhere near fully formed there is a lot of talent in this squad there's been a lot of talent in this squad consistently since really the big spending splurge um, of 2020 but it's not necessarily all coherent talent and I don't think it's coalesced into an elite team yet. I think I think Tuchel was struggling with that a little bit last season and, and obviously leading into this one. They resisted the urge to do bigger surgery on the squad and instead spent all their money on Lukaku and we all see, saw how that turned out. Um, so now the the refreshment that was probably should have happened then um, is happening now. And that that's just the way of things. Yeah, I mean... I understand the the question being asked, but I think I think what uh, what the the question has missed the point there is that all the competitions he just listed were cup competitions. Chelsea are a cup side; they've been increasing their cup side. There's nothing wrong with that; is is good. But they haven't won the league since 2017, and I would argue that's that's the true indication of of where a squad is at. And not only if they not won the league since 2017. They haven't come close. The gap between them and, and Man City, of course, has been has been huge. They're also sort of seeing other teams start to overtake them, like Arsenal, who would have thought it. So so clearly that should be sending alarm bells. I, I think if you looked at the kind of players that Chelsea have signed over the last five years, they've spent an absolute fortune. But how many of them have truly come off in terms of making a massive impact, you know you've you've got some that have have done obviously quite well. You know, right to point out the Champions League, but you can sort of string a few sort of good performances together and win a Champions League. But to do it over thirty eight games is is the true true test, especially when you're up against sides of the caliber of Man City. And and I just think it it's staring everyone in the face that that Chelsea have been a good side but they've not been a great one and and if you compare it with if you were to put the Chelsea 
sides of 05, 06 or 2010 or Mourinho's third Premier League title or even Conte. If you put them against this current Chelsea side, they'd win. They'd beat this current Chelsea side and I think fairly comfortably. And I think that is quite a damning indictment of where this Chelsea side And that's regardless of Graham Potter because I think Thomas Tuchel worked wonders to make Chelsea as competitive as they were against the big boys. But even his sort of stardust started to fade. It'd be wrong, and I think this has been a this has been a constant mistake actually since Potter took over. And this is not me sort of defending him, saying he's the answer. But the rot had set in before Graham Potter took over, and I think you have to be pretty blind not to have seen that and recognised that that since April, Chelsea's form had started to nosedive. And I think one of the reasons is Tuchel could only do so much to get this sort of extra percentage out of this squad. Um, that's not to say that they're a bunch of misfits and should be down in eighth spot. But if you're, if you're thinking about being in first place, then you clearly need to spend more money on this squad. Despite, And you have to question whether the money was spent wisely in the summer. You know, Already you have to question some of the signings, but that's not Graham Potter's fault. So, class of 2022 taking on Bournemouth. Uh, the bad news, they had two players at the World Cup Bournemouth and they were both in the Wales squad so they weren't there for very long whether Kiefer Moore is a doubt for the game on the 27th with a bruised ego um, we will have to wait and see Uh, more bad news is that Bournemouth won on their last visit to the bridge in 2019 they've actually been victorious at Chelsea three times in five visits in the Premier League but the good news Liam is that Gary O'Neill has been made permanent boss. So he's going to lose this, his first game in charge, I feel sure. What do you think is going to happen on the 27th? The Chelsea going to come back with a win? Wow, the the warring hoodoos that we're experiencing <laughs> here. Which one will come out on top? I'm, I'm fascinated. Um, yeah, I have to say, I'm, I, I don't have a good feeling about this game at all. I think the worst type of team, leaving aside, you know, the the personal record that Chelsea have with Bournemouth in recent years, the worst type of team that a big club can play after a mid-season tournament like this is a team that has had virtually no involvement and has just had basically a second pre-season. You know, it didn't escape me watching the Villa friendly that not only were Villa basically playing their Premier League team, missing a couple of players, and Chelsea had half of a dev squad out, They also looked physically a lot more at it because I think that was their third game. And Chelsea might have done more behind closed doors than we're currently aware of. I can't say I've been looking into it. I've been a bit distracted with World Cup stuff. But they've only played one actual game in this period that that we know of. And so there there could be a a physical intensity element as well that they're a little bit undercooked relative to the teams that they're playing against. Um, And we've already seen in the Premier League when Chelsea face a team that press them with real intensity uh, and and play at a faster speed, even if that team isn't as good, they can beat Chelsea in quite comprehensively. So I I don't have a good feeling about this game. We'll see if I'm pleasantly surprised, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look good in my mind. How about you, Simon? St. Lynn's doing a great Simon impression. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be more upbeat then. I'm just gonna say this is where our letters sent to Father Christmas uh, pay off, and we we get what we ask for with 
with Chelsea retaining winning ways. I, I I understand where Liam's coming from, but I I also sort of think I also sort of think that you know there have been players drip feeding back into the the squad. There's only going to be Kovacic and Ziyech, who probably you know won't be available. Um, Potter has for the first time actually had time to work with players since he took over and and actually sort of work on things because he's not had that opportunity. And ideally, obviously, they've had more time and more players to work with, but they have had a bit of time. Obviously, the England contingent and Thiago Silva returned on Sunday. So that gives them a a week at least to work on stuff with the other players that come in. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I think fans have got got to play their part as well. I I think... um, Stanford Bridge has had a very sort of uneasy atmosphere um, since the change of manager, and perhaps when the first mistake, inevitable mistake, pass out straight out of play or rubbish corner that hits the first man, that there aren't the moans and groans that have that have sort of seeped in straight away. Hopefully, the break has reset the optimism of, of Chelsea supporters that they'll actually get a bit more behind the team and, and not think about the man that's gone and, and get behind the man that's in the dugout. Well, whether it's the Dom Solanke revenge tour or Graham Potter and the chomping of the cherries, we will handle all the fallout from Chelsea versus Bournemouth in our next pod. We'll be recording that on the 28th of December. Next today, we'll round up what the women's team have been up to since we last checked in. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So the WSL is now on its winter break, but the league's been running whilst the World Cup was on. Chelsea go into the pools, top of it. Three points clear of Arsenal, having played a game more than the Gunners. They brushed aside Spurs 3-0 at Stamford Bridge last month before a thumping 
8-0 win at Leicester. This was ridiculous. Included an outstanding performance from Guro Wrighton. She got a goal and four assists in the first half of the game. Uh, they then had a narrow 3-2 win against Reading last weekend. It's a nice little spread of, of results and performances that, Liam, isn't it? It shows, again, the depth of the squad for one thing, but also the fact that they can either smash teams 8-0 or they can look like they're going to cruise to a win and then end up hanging on against Reading, but get the points anyway. Yeah, definitely. And they've been balancing all of this with Women's Champions League involvement as well and, and getting the job done. You know, a, a creditable draw away at Real Madrid, comprehensive win against Vlasnia. Um, so they're they're in the position they want to be in, I think, domestically and in Europe. You, you've got an advantage over Arsenal. I know they have a game in hand, but you've also had, to put it callously, some luck on the Arsenal front with you know Vivian Miedemar's incredibly sad ACL injury and they're also already missing Beth Mead. So Arsenal have had awful luck, but it does work in Chelsea's favour in this title race. And it all leads into that match uh, next month, doesn't it? Arsenal Chelsea. It feels like feels like that's going to be quite a showdown now. Even though, yeah, diminished by the players that Arsenal are missing, and Chelsea will be feeling that if if they can go and win that game, then they've really got a stranglehold on the WSL, and it will take a lot to dislodge them from the top of the table. Yeah, that is away against Arsenal, 15th of January. Yeah, Liam mentioned the Champions League. Chelsea wrap up the group stage on Thursday. They host PSG. That's at Stamford Bridge, if you fancy going down to it. Uh, they'll finish top of the group if they avoid defeat by two goals or more against the French team. Uh, congrats to Emma Hayes and Denise Reddy. They jointly won Manager of the Month for November. Reddy had stepped up whilst Hayes was recovering uh, from her hysterectomy. Now, in terms of the men's academy size, the under-21s went out of the EFL trophy. They lost 4-0 at Cheltenham last week. There was a massive caveat, though, wasn't there, Simon? Because half of the team had been in Abu Dhabi with the first team, so it wasn't exactly ideal preparation for them. No, and it was also a very flattering scoreline um, that uh, they conceded a very sloppy goal very early on, but had sort of most of the play... Generally, I thought they actually reacted to the the setback pretty well, um, given they were, they it was a squad or was a team rather that was very young and inexperienced co- compared to their opponents. The two guys that had been to Abu Dhabi that were involved, uh, Castellani and Mothersill, you could tell they'd only got back the day before from Abu Dhabi, and they were playing in like suddenly they'd gone from I don't know thirty degrees. Uh, Celsius to what looked like 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it was. <laughs> but if you get the opportunity to play at the completely Suzuki Stadium, you've got to take it, haven't you? You know, well, regardless. I mean, of there the was. It was. It was snow round the side of the pitch. I mean, it was. It was uh, very. I mean, it's bad enough for those that were there, let alone those who just come from from the Middle East. Um, and you could tell Castellite that was the worst I've seen him play. He was way off it, and he. He just knew why. I mean, the guy. The guy just. Not only just been been on a flight in the warm weather, it was just it was bonkers. So the timing of this game couldn't have been any worse for Mark Robinson, and they conceded three goals in the last five minutes, and that's where the sort of flattering scoreline uh, comes into play. But it's still been a very positive tournament all round for the under twenty ones. They've had some notable noble wins at Leighton Orient and Peterborough in particular. Oxford United was another one, and we've got to see some of the young talent that uh, that we've already talked about on this. On this podcast, I mean, if you put if you put a fully fit under twenty one side for full strength against Cheltenham, I think it would have been a potentially a different story. But um, 
just quickly on the on the piece that I wrote earlier that you mentioned earlier on, on Mother Sill and Burstow, um, that quickly got ra- a little bit rained on my parade when the day that it came out that suddenly uh, suddenly Chelsea are after um, they're about to sign a, a 19-year-old striker to play in January. But what is quite interesting though is Mother Sill's um, U-turn in fortunes. So Mason Burstow was very much the sort of the the star man of in terms of the forwards he'd overtaken Jude Sins up Bell and was very much see, was sort of seen as uh, that's the guy that that if if promoted to the first team squad for a, a odd game or two it would be him but Mothersill has really um, turned his fortunes around um, the Papa John's Trophy providing him that avenue he's actually scored more goals than Burst though and um, yeah it's quite it'll be quite interesting to see what happens to him in the new year because he's out of contract at the end of the season but Chelsea have as I say in my piece, I've started uh, started initial talks with him. He's definitely got something. Whether he's good enough to to uh, to make it to the senior team going forward, we'll find out. But his future's looking a lot rosier than it did uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, sure is. Um, some of those players should have been involved in the FA Youth Cup this weekend, but the game against Bradford was postponed due to a frozen pitch at Kings Meadow. All right, that's just about it for us on our triumphant return. Uh, Liam, what are you working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy, please? The main thing is a closer look at David Datro Fofana. I always like it when, you know, the club either gets heavily linked or kind of goes far down the road of signing players like this that, that people don't really hear about. There are very few unknowns, it feels like, in European football these days. But this guy, he's only 19. He's not been in Scandinavia for very long he's already been capped by Ivory Coast but it feels like he's uh, he's still a player that I think a lot of fans won't know anything about so I'm looking forward to putting that piece together Um, and we're also trying to work on a a bigger piece on Chelsea's recruitment team and how all these cooks are going to function in the same kitchen (laughs) How about you Simon what are you working on? Well a piece that's already in the basket and um, it'll come out in the next day or two it's very very serious subject matter I've interviewed a number of people about Dermot Drummy um, it's five years since he tragically took his own life of course he was a former academy coach a very respected academy coach helped develop a number of key players also I should hasten to add he was key at Arsenal as well uh, worked with the likes of Jack Wilshere Chelsea, you're talking Christensen, Nathan Aki, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. There's there's a number of players that he had a big influence on. So um, it was a very tough piece to to write um, and to cover for obvious reasons because we, we're talking about mental health here. Um, but it was also very what what we felt was a very important piece to write, not only to celebrate the man and and talk about this influential character that had a big say on Chelsea Academy. He actually ended. Um, Chelsea's 49-year drought of winning an FA Youth Cup and started the ball rolling in terms of Chelsea's success in terms of silverware as an academy. But um, but also said to, to sort of, I think it's very important to to really hammer home this this message of of talking to people if you're feeling down, and that that's hopefully what this this piece will achieve. And um, yeah, voices that I spoke to range from from Brendan Rogers to. Uh, Eddie Newton, Eddie Vivash, and so on and so forth. So, um, and and the way they spoke about him, uh, you got a real, real great insight into to what a great sort of character this man was. He's very much sorely missed by 
with all the friends and family and and, and colleagues that that uh, knew him. Yeah, much missed, much loved, and and many young footballers around the country at the moment are um, a great debt. Looking forward to reading that piece. Um, okay, well that will do us for today. As I say, we will be back on the twenty eighth of December to break down what happened in the Bournemouth game and look ahead to the match at the City Ground against Forest on New Year's Day too. There'll be plenty more Chelsea chat as well. Head to theathletic.com for the latest subscription offers if you aren't currently signed up to read the brilliant work that the guys do. Uh, have a great Christmas and we'll be back with you after the Bournemouth game. Speak to you soon. The Athletic.